Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind was written and illustrated by Hayao Miyazaki and was published from 1982 to 1994. And the film adaptation, also directed by Hayao Miyazaki, uh, came out in 1984. And uh, this is actually a patron-requested episode. So uh, my sister, Annette, who is a patron. Yes. um, She pays up for it. (laughs) (laughs) She's earned this request, um, has requested that we do this episode because a lot of people don't know that Nausicaa is based on a manga. And a lot of people also don't know that that manga was written and illustrated by Hayao Miyazaki himself. Yeah, so I mean, visually... Uh, like all the character designs and the look and the style. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it all like syncs up almost like perfectly to the film. The only difference being that like the manga is in black and white, essentially. Yeah. And the manga is there. There are seven volumes. Mm-hmm. It is extensive. Um, You might have heard when I first said that it was published over a period of 12 years. So it's uh it's chunky. So um <laughs> for this episode we're actually only going to discuss the first two-ish, uh, more like one and a half volumes of the manga cuz that's what the film is based on essentially. Yeah, and so we're going to talk about that, compare them and then for anyone who would like a deeper dive into this really awesome and deep and you know, very Miyazaki uh, manga, we're doing a bonus episode. Yeah, where we're discussing uh, the remaining volumes uh, mm-hmm. that we're not going to be able to talk about in this episode. Yeah, so our bonus episodes are available for anyone who supports us on Patreon at any level. So definitely go over there and check it out if you'd like to hear more about this. Yeah, we won't, you know, we're, we have, neither of us has reached the end of the manga yet. Yeah. Um, I've and, read it before, though. Oh, you have? Yeah. Oh, I totally forgot that. Yeah, like, Six or seven years ago, so I forgot a lot about it. Okay. Yeah. Um. So we might, like, mention if something is, like, kind of a allusion to something that happened, like, you know, maybe uh, in a later volume or, you know, post the scenario that the movie covers. But we're not really going to be talking about, you know, anything that far down the road. Yeah, because there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of content. We'll, we'll see what that episode even looks like and how we'll condense that for I the bonus episode. I am really curious myself. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> It'll definitely be a fun time. It's also worth noting that uh, this movie was made by Miyazaki, but was actually pre-Studio Ghibli. Yeah, the only other movie uh, that Miyazaki had done before this was a Loop on the Third film, mm-hmm. and he worked on that uh, ongoing series as well. Yeah. Um, but this was his first feature film that I think most people consider kind of in his filmography his to style. an extent. Yeah, not yeah. to forget Loop on the Third, um, but this was, you know, obviously his own creation, and, you know, it. we really see, um, even in this early film so many themes that go on throughout the rest of his filmography which I think is really interesting yeah it definitely feels like it it fits in with the rest of Studio Ghibli canon that he would go on to yeah and it's cool because you know he worked with um Takahata who who is the person that he ended up founding 
um, Studio Ghibli with a few years after this movie came out. And this was produced, like the animation was all done by Topcraft. And then this company and like a lot of the animators kind of became Studio Ghibli. Yeah. And this film has kind of retroactively uh, been considered, you know, to be a Studio Ghibli film, even though the company wasn't founded at this, at this point. Like yeah. it was so many of the same people mm-hmm. that it's like it's it's essentially a Ghibli film. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's cool to look at this in his entire career. You know what I mean? As both in terms of him doing the manga and this being the start of his directing career, really. Yeah, super fascinating. And there's so much to discuss. I'm very excited. Let's start out in kind of setting up this world that Nausicaa lives in, which is this really rad but terrifying uh, post-apocalyptic future. Yeah, and like already, I mean, just this film and this world and the manga, you know, this story feels like such a unique kind of vibe. Yeah. Like it's futuristic, Um, There is like there are still like hovercrafts and like future technologies. Yeah. But also I love how they talk about it. Like they don't they don't know how to build them anymore. Yeah. Like they know how to kind of like maintain them and keep them up. But like they don't have the technology anymore to make more. Yeah. So it's kind of this interesting uh, post-apocalyptic future that they're in. Yeah. And they're in this world where there is this forest filled with toxic plants, basically. And in the manga, it's referred to as the Sea of Corruption. And, you know, to be transparent as well, like we're reading the manga in English and we watch the dubbed English version of the film as well. So there could definitely be things that we are misconstruing just because of the translation thing. Um, And then sometimes they're a little different in each one. So in the manga, in the version we read, it calls it the Sea of Corruption. And then in the dubbed uh, movie version, they call this the toxic jungle. And it's also referred to as the rotwood yeah. as well. It has many names, mm-hmm. which I think makes sense. Like, usually that's how that kind of thing, like, it would have many names from different people and stuff. Definitely. And yeah, and so, and I, I think our introduction, we do get a brief uh, moment in the film where we see Lord Yupa. Yeah. Um, kind of wandering through a destroyed village that's kind of been overtaken by the sea of corruption Mm -hmm. and there's no life there anymore. And it's kind of painting this kind of dour picture. Yeah. But when the story really begins, um, we see Nausicaa in the sea of corruption in the toxic jungle kind of exploring. And it's this really quiet meditative kind of scene Mm -hmm. I think in the manga as well where you're just seeing her in this environment she feels very comfortable and at home in it yeah and she comments like at one point looking at spores like if I took my mask off I would be dead in seconds Mm -hmm. but there's this beauty to it as well yeah I really love the look of this toxic jungle because it's very um, reminiscent of like mold and spores. Yeah. Um, they talk specifically about um, spores being released into the air and kind of falling like snow. And then also it kind of like spreading like mold would, like infecting a certain area and then just kind of growing and growing from there with these little like puff balls almost. Yeah, it's inspirations like in fungi and yeah. like it's populated by insects. Mm-hmm. I think it's very original, like even by today's standards. And like, I haven't seen anything quite like that. No. And it makes the air and the soil and the water and everything totally toxic to humans. And yeah, I love the scene. She finds this 
uh, ohm shell, and we can tell just by looking at the shell that these insects are huge. Yeah. Um, and she, of course, is in awe of this creature, and they actually use um, the shell for, like, weapons and... Building to materials. Build, yeah, build things. So it is very much, like using what they can to try to like keep going and surviving. There's also this great moment where she wants to remove one of the um, eye shells or yeah. whatever you would call them. And so we see her like take a uh, gun cartridge and like sprinkle the gunpowder around it and ignite it with the gun and, you know, to loosen it. And it's just kind of a cool moment. It just shows you that she's very uh capable yeah and very confident and clever uh it's just like without saying really anything literally about her at this point it Mm -hmm. just demonstrates visually the kind of character that she is i agree and this like peaceful quietness of the forest is interrupted because there's like a disturbance in the forest Mm -hmm. that nausicaa senses and she ends up taking her little glider and it's uh, a man being chased by insects and she immediately kind of like rushes into action and uh, distracts the ohm that's chasing him Mm -hmm. and like the other insects and kind of lures it back into the forest. Yeah. Once again, just showing not only how uh, clever she is, but also that she has kind of this really good understanding of like creatures behaviors. Like she's able to like, quiet the ohm yeah with just some very basic means Mm -hmm. and the man being chased who is is lord yupa yeah and i don't think he recognizes nausicaa yet at this point but he's like wow this girl is like so clever and like good almost instinctual with how she reacts and to to demonstrate that like this isn't something obviously just anyone could do like it's really unique to her Mm -hmm. Uh, i want to just say from the beginning here that there's this really great music during mm-hmm. scenes like this, during like the chase scene with the ohm big insect. And like in a lot of other like scenes that involve insects when there's like chasing going on and like conflict, it's this like really cool, like synthy 80s music. <laughs> yeah, I love this so much. And it's really funny. We were discussing how like really, I mean, you know, some people may feel like the animation style is of an older time you know what i mean it does it does have kind of a a more classic different feeling than like a lot of anime today yeah but uh you know that aside there isn't a lot that makes this movie feel older no even the music here which in a way is retro this 80s synth music has kind of come back in vogue yeah in a lot of ways (laughs) like movies like thor ragnarok use a lot of synthesizer music yeah there's stranger things of course which is like brought that back yeah it's just so funny to be like this movie came out in 1984 and to think about movies that came out in 84 and how dated they feel and how the vibe to them just has this 80s just feeling to it and this movie i would never place it in the 80s like it feels like it's not a current animated film yeah but it really doesn't feel as old as as it is and i think that's a really awesome statement to be able to make about a movie to be like it doesn't feel like it's an 80s movie no and i think that also goes into the fact that like a lot of movies, if, you know, they take place in the future, but are filmed in the 80s, yeah. everyone still has, like, mullets. Yeah. And a lot of that style still tends to, like, seep Creep into in. it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's 
uh, it says something to Miyazaki that like it feels like such an original take on a future post-apocalyptic environment that like yeah. there's nothing in it that feels like indicative of like a time period or anything. No. In fact, at one point, Lord Yupa takes off his helmet mm-hmm. and he's got a real modern haircut. Like it's like um, <laughs> shaved on the shaved sides. on the sides and like really like piled up on top. And I was like, man, Lord Yupa is uh, Miyazaki's pioneering that look like yeah. in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> After Nausicaa uh, tames the ohm, though, and gets it to turn around back into the jungle, she, uh, you know, glides down and meets Yupa, and we find out that they are, you know, she's known him since childhood, and they kind of reunite, and we get this great scene when Yupa shows her, I forget what kind of creature they call it. It's a squirrel fox? A squirrel fox, okay. Yeah. I see uh, taking the, I shouldn't say taking the avatar route, but (laughs) It's more like the avatar. Avatar took this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a really great moment when she encounters the squirrel fox. Yeah, she names him uh, Tato. Yeah. Um, And she just kind of has this instinctual affinity for animals. And it's like very hostile towards her at first and in fact like kind of bites her and then she's able to calm it and tame it almost immediately and we see too that she's kind of really close with uh the horse claws that uh lord yupa brought with him and lord yupa kind of makes this comment like she has such a connection to animals and almost like this mysterious power and also kind of relating it to her awareness and affinity for the insects as well yeah in the film it's really just kind of depicted as like this um sixth sense almost yeah like Nausicaa's always, she always senses something is going to happen before anyone else does or anyone sees anything. Like if there's going going to be an attack yeah, or if something's there's not danger. quite right. Yeah, danger. She'll like get a sense of it. The manga, though, is much more supernatural with it. It's much more like she kind of has a telepathic ability. Yeah, and it's really interesting because she's able to communicate in this way with the Ohm. She can like... Um, speak mind to mind with them. Yeah, she's literally like communicating with them. And she's able to do this with other people too later on. She's able to kind of go into this like telepathic space and kind of send this plea for help or um, shout in this kind of psychic realm. Yeah, and the manga like when it goes into later volumes, like goes even more heavily into this actually. Like there's a kind of a villainous character that shows up that's like an ultra telepath. yeah. Uh, so it really plays into this kind of supernatural vibe like a lot more. Whereas in the film, it's just kind of this vague yeah. connection she has with like nature, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And not only do animals love her, but the people of the Valley of the Wind love her too. Because she's, you know, the princess of this valley. Her father is the king, but he's like old and getting sick. And um, everybody's like just really cares about her. And you can tell that she is just kind and generous with everyone. Yeah. Uh, the film especially points out the relationship she has with like a lot of the older men of the village who kind of look to her as a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love her relationship with the, that, the old crew that yeah. like sticks with her through the movie. They would just like do anything for her. And mm-hmm. she like genuinely cares about everyone. And I, I don't know, like there's been a lot of talk lately about the Mary Sue character type in films, Mm. which is very sexist because it's specifically talking about female characters who are just good at everything naturally. Yeah. But I think that's such bullshit to say that's like a problem because I don't know. Nausicaa is just such a great character. And to have a character that's 
good and honest that you would like want to be like or want to know like I I don't know I think it's like super refreshing actually and I really love seeing it I agree and I love that her a lot of her strength comes from her kindness and vulnerability and openness yeah and caring about creatures and you know other life forms yeah and Ian and I were talking a lot about how like it's sort of natural to care for creatures that are cute Or look more um, what we expect to be cute and lovable, you know, like puppies and kittens. But Nausicaa has this love of insects. And I'll just come right out and say that I hate insects and I I don't have a good relationship with Most people, I think, are like... (laughs) neutral on bugs to say the least yeah like let alone giant bugs (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i I think that's this film takes like an environmental theme in a way that i've never seen another story do which is the things that they're like that she's fighting for and that matter are these very alien looking aggressive creepy bugs yeah you can't pet them they're not soft no like the ohms are like they're basically huge aliens. and terrifying. Yeah. And there's like no kind of like expression or emoting about them. No. And I actually think I like that better in the movie that she can't communicate with them directly. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more of a like a hunch kind of instinct with them. Yeah. But, you know, there's so many things in our environment that are so important that like you know, matter to the ecosystem that you can't put on a postcard like pandas or something. Yeah, you can't put like a happy face on it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Most people would be like, oh, that's gross or I don't like that or like who the fuck cares about slugs or, you know what I mean? But all of that is important to Nausicaa. It's also worth mentioning in the manga, um, there are two countries that are not part of the Valley of the Wind, um, Tormikia and the Dorok principalities that are at war with each other. And the Valley of the Wind is basically loosely allied um, with Tormikia and has to kind of like go to war on their behalf because of that. And so that's part of the manga, whereas that whole storyline is not present in the movie at all. No, it's kind of become Nausicaa's duty since her father's kind of uh, bedridden that she has to go fight kind of in his place. Yeah, like Mulan. <laughs> yes, oh my God, yeah, it, it's very much like Mulan. Except she doesn't have to go secretly. They're like, yeah, just send Nausicaa, she can go. We'll say, we don't care, we're not sexist. If she's yeah. a woman, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so there's kind of this like approaching war that's kind of like looming over them that yeah. Nausicaa knows she has to like be involved in. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of this like overshadowing thing on the horizon in both the uh, manga and the movie at this time there's a ship that crash lands and on the ship is this pegite princess yeah and nausicaa tries to save her but it's too late um and the the ship was kind of like overrun by insects so you don't really know what happened to the ship to make it like this did they disturb a, a nest did they land in the forest um but the girl as she's dying in the manga, she gives Nausicaa a stone, um, and it seems like it's significant in some way, and is basically like, please give this to my brother. Yeah. And in the movie, she tells Nausicaa to burn all the cargo on the ship. Yeah, and it's also worth noting that in the film, it's a Termikian ship. Yeah. And she was like a prisoner on it, mm-hmm. whereas in the manga, it was a Pegite ship that was yeah. like full of refugees, like women and children, so it's kind of a much more devastating yeah kind of much more impactful moment i would say yeah and like 
it's just really sad because, you know, she dies in this moment and there's like a lot of wreckage, like there's insect carnage, there's like human carnage, and it does feel like, you know, something bad is happening and starting, which it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's discovered on the ship in the movie that there is this huge pulsing egg thing yeah that they realize is a god warrior mm-hmm. or giant warrior in the movie they call it a giant war- warrior but the manga calls it a god warrior and that's like way cooler oh yeah god warriors <laughs> much better uh but and we at, at some point discovered too that the stone that nasuka was given in the book like controls a god warrior that's in Pegite. Yeah. So it's basically the same thing. It's like either the actual god warrior or something that controls it. Yeah. And the god warriors, like a thousand years ago, right when the world was about to collapse, were created by, you know, this this ancient civilization. And they were just giant beings that had the power to like basically nuke the earth and then they did (laughs) yeah they did what they were built for essentially (laughs) i really love though kind of the building mythos of this world because on one hand you're like is this supposed to be like our future yeah or is this the future of like kind of a fantasy world Mm -hmm. and it's kind of not very clear because like the god warriors are kind of mechanical but also like alive yeah they're alive they're like organisms Mm -hmm. and we were were told at one point that like before the god warriors destroyed everything like humans traveled on spaceships to space yeah and so it's like wow what kind of like society was this Mm -hmm. uh and now they're like just using what remnants of technology they can find it just feels like a very long vast history it's super like well-established, I think, especially yeah. in the manga. Like, you get so much lore and, like, bits of information from the past that kind of fill into the now. Yeah, so it's very fascinating. But the Valley of the Wind, their peaceful little cute, cute adorable. Valley. Like, they got they got the, the windmills. windmills. Yeah. yeah, people are just farming. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of nice old men. Uh, all of that is disturbed when a Termekian ship shows up. Yeah, and in the manga, they're loosely allied with Tormikia. So um, when the Tormikian ship lands, it's not necessarily like a bad thing, but what they do is they don't go through all the like protocols to kind of clear off the ship and make sure no toxins from the Sea of Corruption. They didn't rub it down with hand sanitizer like yeah, they should have. I mean... Honestly, so like reading the manga and the, I'd say specifically the manga just because it gets into it more, all the discussion about like the 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 need for masks and like for uh, just protocols and like being safe were like, I don't want to say funny, but like a little bit. And Adina and I were joking about like... If we're leaving the house, we're like, oh, make sure you put on your mask before you enter the sea of corruption <laughs> outside in society. It is a sea of corruption. <laughs> um, but so they don't observe these protocols. And so this like really pisses off Nausicaa and the people because, you know, they could lose their crops. They could lose everything with this. Um, and then it's interesting that Tremekians have uh, these kind of lower caste people among them called worm handlers. Yeah. And they're kind of considered like the gross people of society. Like they actually have worms and they use them for stuff. It's not clear exactly what they are. If you want to be popular, maybe like don't be like a worm guy. Maybe yeah. don't make that your don't thing. Don't be known as like a worm person. <laughs> they're like, why don't people like us? Is it the worms? 
it's a it's a cool part though because they kind of like sick the worms on Nausicaa, and she kind of, they like climb all over her, and she kind of like almost does like a shrug. She kind of like flexes yeah, them flexes off. Flexes them off. Yeah, <laughs> it's very anime, but it's like, and you don't even know what happened, but she just like. And just like they fly off her and it's super cool. And she kind of like ends up dueling with this one soldier and it's getting kind of violent. And at this point, like Lord Yupa steps in and is basically like, no, like calm down and kind of brings the situation back to peace. But also she might have killed the guy already. I think she did. I think she did. Like she stabbed him like in the back, like down the back of his armor. Mm -hmm. But he was still standing for a bit and he kind of collapses. And they mention like. He was dead already. He was dead already. I, it was very, it was a little odd. It wasn't totally clear. Yeah. The movie happens differently because there isn't this ongoing war and like alliance with the Tormikians at this point. So instead, you know, the Tormikian ship lands and basically starts an invasion of the Valley of the Wind. Yeah. And it's much scarier and more frightening. Uh, they kind of just like storm out with tanks yeah. and a cavalry and they go into the castle and kill Nausicaa's father. Yeah. And Nausicaa runs in and this is where like the similar duel type situation happens where she's attacking them. She definitely has more of a motive in this situation because her father was just murdered and he was like sick in bed also. So it's just like really sad. And you know that they're here because of this god warrior. Yeah. Which is like really tragic because it's not like the Valley of the Wind wanted to be in a situation. No. I I will say it was like a little weird and kind of frustrating this the way the scene played out with them. Yeah. Yeah. Killing the king of this land. I know. And then when Princess Kushana shows up, she's like, stop. She's like, we're not savages. We're just here to talk. I'm like, you just murdered their king. Yeah. And so, like, I don't know. It either depicts that, like, Kushana, like, I don't know, didn't handle the situation well or Mm -hmm. doesn't have control of her own soldiers. I don't know. Like, the way that kind of isn't explained well kind of doesn't put Kushana in a good light right off the bat. Yeah, I agree. Um, So in the movie, like Kushana, Princess Kushana and her people, the Termikians are basically taking over the Valley of the Wind. Um, And in the book, Nausicaa is getting ready to join the army um, to go to war. And we have this like kind of small scene uh, between action moments where Nausicaa shows Lord Yupa her secret room. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Where she has actually been, like, doing experiments. Once again, Nausicaa just, like, covering all areas from, like, being battle-ready and, like, communicating with creatures. And now she's, like, into botany. Yeah. She's an amazing scientist. She is. She's basically figured everything out. And Lord Yupa's like, wow, I've been like wondering how this works for like all the years that I've been alive. And here you have your little laboratory like and have just solved it. And Asuka's like, yeah, I fit it in between sword fighting practice and like scavenging (laughs) the waste. And, you know, just when I had time, just some free time. (laughs) But it is this great moment of seeing that like. Nausicaa is really trying to, I mean, she kind of mentions in the uh, movie that she's doing it to try to find a cure for her father. Yeah. But like, she's really trying to find nonviolent ways of like solving their problems. Yeah. And like 
figuring out a way to not just like destroy the sea of corruption, but like understand it at least. Yeah. And to know exactly how to coexist and how to keep her people safe. But also she just has like a thirst for knowledge and wants to understand like what has happened to the world basically. And it's really interesting because in the scene we see that she has all these plants that are totally toxic and like could kill you instantly in the toxic jungle but in here in her little room with like clean water and clean air they're totally harmless yeah and on top of that we get a great scene where she kind of and i can't remember if it's the same in the manga but in the film she kind of has this this breakdown with yupa Mm -hmm. crying about what happened um with the invasion and everything and and this is you know in manga to this comparison but Comparing Nausicaa to the Ohms, yeah, in terms of how the Ohms become blind with rage, like when they're when they are enraged, their eyes turn red, mm-hmm. and like they're like unstoppable. Yeah, and nothing—it's really hard to like get through to them, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, and similar to Nausicaa when she does kind of get overwhelmed with anger, you know, can become violent. Yeah, she can kill someone. Yeah, take a life, and mm-hmm. so. And she was saying that that fear kind of scares her. Yeah. And I just really love that comparison to her and the Ohms and to show that she does have limits and she does have uh, faults Mm -hmm. and problems that she's dealing with. Yeah, I agree. This is a really beautiful scene. Yeah. So at this point in time, Nausicaa and some other men from the valley end up going with Princess Kushana um, away. And they're going to like Pejite or some kind of like battle encampment in the manga they're going because like they have this alliance and they have to yeah in the like movie it's because kushana's like taking them hostage kind of yeah and this is interesting because like this kind of goes to the idea of like it's a it's a faithful adaptation to a degree but changes have to be made and sometimes it doesn't make total sense yeah and clearly miyazaki is trying to get them to a similar point um which is when their ships are attacked yeah but like there has to be a reason for them to be like leaving in the first place and i agree it doesn't quite like make total sense in the movie why they're going yeah they're leaving for pejite which were not explained why are they going to pejite yeah and why would kushana leave the god warrior yeah. like that's like the main prize she leaves uh kuratoa behind who's like her second in command yeah she leaves like her her a lot of her forces in kuratoa to watch over it but like yeah the thing that was important about pejite was the god warrior was there yeah. so why would they be going it's not like really explained yeah but regardless um this envoy of ships gets attacked by a pejite gunship and nausicaa's ship is hit and starts going down and some other ships are hit in the movie it's interesting kushana kind of like stows aboard their ship they kind of like go out of the main ship yeah nausicaa really saves her life yeah she's in the ship the smaller one ready to evacuate and Mm -hmm. she actually waits for kushana yeah uh just kind of showing her sympathy and you know care for like anyone even and like you know at this point in the film Kushana's really painted as a villain. Yeah. You know, in the manga, it's a little bit more neutral. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because she didn't, like, invade her home country and, like, kill her dad. Yeah. <laughs> but in the anime, 
it is that's the scenario when she saves her life. Mm-hmm. So really showing Nausicaa's uh, compassion to all living creatures, I'd say. Yeah, the gunship that attacked them ends up going down. And then they have to land in the Sea of Corruption toxic jungle as well. Yeah, and playing into, in the movie, Kushana kind of being shitty. Yeah. At this point, she, like, pulls a gun on (laughs) Nausicaa and is like, I'm taking over now. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and they're in the Sea of Corruption. So, like, Nausicaa is, is literally saying, if you fire that gun, the insects are gonna swarm us. And attack us. Yeah. And kill us. You are being ridiculous right now. And Kishana's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> Let me just shoot the gun once and see like what happens. We get this great part though where the ohm kind of come out from underneath them because they've like landed in this lake. Yeah. It's really cool looking. And Nausicaa is able to sort of communicate with them telepathically and kind of say, like, oh, we don't mean you any harm. Like, please let us pass. Like, you know. Everything's fine, basically. By the way, one of my favorite moments, I think, in specifically the film, it's great in the manga, too. It's basically the same is as they're going down, like the (laughs) ships are going down into the sea of corruption. uh, The one pod or whatever you want to call it glider that has like the rest of the old men. Yeah. uh, Is going down and the old men are like, oh, my God, we're going to die. Oh, well, like this is fine. And Nausicaa's trying to come back for us. (laughs) Nausicaa's trying to like talk to them. And get them to calm down. And eventually she like takes her mask off like in this toxic environment. Yeah. And the men are so concerned for her immediately that they're like, oh, my God, put your mask back on. Like, we'll do anything. Just put your mask back on. And so she gets them to like regroup, basically. Yeah. Uh, And it's a great moment. Just like I love how I don't want to say gullible like the old men are. Like they just care so much about her. Yeah. That like she can forget them to like. Focus. Yeah, just by putting herself at at risk or seemingly at risk. It's just a really funny moment. It's sweet, too. Yeah. Uh, So she, you know, she kind of calms the ohms down in the sea of corruption. But then there's kind of uh, a kerfuffle going on. Yes. And she knows that it's the uh, Pegite prince that crashed in the forest Mm -hmm. causing said kerfuffle. (laughs) Yeah. So she leaves uh, the group and asks them to, like, get out of the Sea of Corruption whenever they can and that she'll meet them. And she goes to help uh, Asbel, who we find out his name is Asbel. And he's actually the brother of the girl that died and asked her to give the stone or to burn yes. the god warrior. And I really love this scene in the movie specifically where she's trying to grab him and they're like flying through the air. And there's that like, dragonfly looking centipede, centipede with wings type, yeah uh, insect that just has these like massive chompers trying to chomp them <laughs> it's really cool it's again like, with like the 80s music yeah the, the 80s synth is really great really mm-hmm. strong in this moment i wanted to mention here and talk just briefly about the art style in the manga yeah because it is in a, in a way very similar to the film like the character designs are all the same and like designs of like the ships and everything like that uh but it's in black and white yeah and i will say there are points when it is a little confusing yeah to visually. know visually what's going on mm-hmm. i mean because color is such a strong um tool at yeah. your disposal to like 
keep contrast. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To like keep your eye on a character, you know, put them in a, a specific color, um, things like that. And so without that at points, it does get a little bit like I'm specifically remembering uh, Asbel in the forest. Like at one point he like crawls into the trunk of a tree. Yeah. And it's like breaking and it's visually very tough at points. Like, I mean, I give Miyazaki so much credit because he really is like he does use some halftone shading in the comic just to like make some grays yeah. in it. But really, he sticks mostly to like line work to like um uh like cross hatching and shading things in that way. Like yeah. he's pretty consistent with sticking to that mostly and with that limitation, like he does a lot with it and yeah. is very effective with it. But there are points when it's tough to tell what's going on. And on top of that, it's also funny because like color is kind of important in the story, even in the manga. Yeah. But there is no color like, you know, <laughs> they, they talk about like blue and red and like, yeah. these important colors. The, yeah. ohm, the ohm's eyes turning red and the yeah. blue of uh, Nausicaa's dress. And I'm like. Couldn't there have been something else, <laughs> like a symbol? Yeah, or... it'd be nice for us to see that. I agree. I also think that the kind of chaoticness of the style lessens a bit as the volumes go on. Yeah. Um. Definitely in the first volume, I noticed it a lot more. Mm-hmm. That things were kind of like, they're, they're not messy. There's just a lot going on. So it, it kind of is visually disorienting. Yeah. I mean, he's real loose and kind of fluid with his like lines and stuff. And I, I really enjoy it for the most part. It's just like at certain points, like in chaotic scenes or like the sea of corruption or the insects, when things are kind of complicated, um, it is visually a little tough at points. Yeah. They end up landing in this lower part of the forest and this is another really quiet scene that kind of reminds me of that first scene with Nausicaa in the forest. Yeah. Um, but instead, this is the two of them kind of discovering that they can breathe and that the air is safe in this petrified part of the forest. And it's so cool because we learn so much about what's happening in the toxic jungle, Sea of Corruption, where these trees and plants are basically taking the pollution and the toxicity in the earth from, oh, you know, when people just nuked the whole planet. (laughs) Yeah. And is pulling it and kind of like processing it and then kind of crumbling to dust. And once they turn to dust, to to sand or whatever, um, those particles are like safe. Yeah. And I really love this idea that the sea of corruption, which is, you know, viewed by all the characters as like, toxic and dangerous and, and it's spreading and we'd be better off without it is actually like the solution to their problems yeah uh in the long run but it is this idea of like will we survive this time period to enjoy like what comes from it yeah it's kind of unclear and kind of like humans place in this world you know what i mean yeah and this reminds me a lot of like some discussions happening now about the earth you know because with climate change and pollution and all the terrible things that we're doing to the environment, you know, some people are saying like, I mean, the earth will continue to exist, you know? Yeah. And like, there may be creatures that can adapt to survive in this environment, but like we might not survive. Humans might not make it (laughs) because of what we're doing. Um, And I think 
this is such a great story that is unfortunately still relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very relevant when it came out in the 80s, and it's even more relevant now in 2021, where, you know, we're looking at this world that's basically been deemed like uninhabitable. Yeah. And humans are just like hanging on by a thread, basically. And even though like there's humans are threatened and there's so much at stake, like people are still fighting each other for mm-hmm. no reason. Yeah, I it, it's it's a very complicated and in a way realistic plot line. Like I love that there are these stupid fucking wars still going on. Yeah. I mean, like today, like the environmental crisis is the biggest thing humanity is facing. Yeah. But we're so preoccupied with like so many other stupid like, you know, wars or conflicts with other countries. Power. And it's like we need to unite around this one goal and we can't do it. And I love that, like, even post apocalyptic in this story. Yeah. People are still like, eh, you know, we might as well fight this country and take over their land. And and I like, too, in the movie how everyone's like, oh, we have to burn the forest down and then we'll be saved. And Nausicaa kind of realizing that, like, the forest is part of the earth and it's actually, like, making things better. Yeah. And kind of showing how, like, when we don't, when humans especially, like, when we don't understand something, mm-hmm. we might, like, react instinctively with violence and fear and try to, like, kill it instead of, and, and it ends up hurting ourselves more because we don't understand the importance of, like, every piece of the puzzle in terms of, like, the environment, ecology, and, like, yeah. the way the world is very connected. Especially, like, you know, we've removed ourselves so much from, like, nature in a way and how we live yeah. that, like, we're more and more ignorant to it, I think, in our lives. And, like, even in this story, you know what I mean? They don't, they pretty much avoid the toxic jungle as much as they can. Yeah. And so they don't understand it and they fear it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so funny because it's, like, on one hand, like Nausicaa and other Miyazaki, uh, environmentalism is a big theme in a lot of Miyazaki films. Yeah. And I love it because he's not subtle about it. No. But I think he talks about it in a very mature way that still makes it like so interesting and like a good story. Yeah. Like I can't help but compare this to like something like Avatar, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, James Cameron film. Yeah. Which is also kind of like has an environmentalist theme, but it's very, it feels very simple and kind of juvenile in comparison. Yeah. And it is overt with it in the similar way, but I think like the overtones that Miyazaki puts into this story just make it so much more relevant and significant. Yeah. And I'd also say the same thing about his anti-war messages because that's another theme that shows up a lot in his movies. And this is another reason why I'm like, this doesn't feel like his one of his first films he ever made. Yeah. Because those themes that come up in like other films like Howl's Moving Castle, like Princess Mononoke, and like other things, you know, are so present in this story. And that idea that people are just going to war for like really stupid reasons and like they don't even know why they're doing yeah. it. And that it doesn't make sense. And just like the cruelty and the violence of it for like no reason and I just admire that you know Miyazaki has been you know preaching these themes from the beginning he's been so consistent about it yeah I actually think this movie might have the best anti-war kind of positioning than any other film Mm -hmm. uh for anyone interested we did an episode on Howl's Moving Castle that you can listen to which also has a war theme to it 
However, that one is just so vague. Yeah. There's just like this war going on. Yeah, no one knows why. <laughs> no, it's like not really explained for what or what reason or why it's going on. And like, I mean, in a way that's relevant because it's like most wars are caused over really stupid reasons. Yeah. And almost the reason doesn't matter. Um, I think Howl's Moving Castle maybe takes that too far. But in this, I think you understand the reasoning for what they're fighting over. Yeah. Like, you get the logic to it, but the stupidity of it, I think, is still on display. And I think we see that really evidently uh, in the film uh, when Asbel and Nasca escape the toxic jungle. Mm-hmm. They go to Pegite. Once again, I don't know why they go to Pegite. Yeah, I mean, Asbel's returning to his home, I think. I guess. So that makes sense. And I guess he doesn't know it's destroyed yet. Yeah, and they see that it has been destroyed. It's been totally overrun by insects, and now the Sea of Corruption is spreading in this town. Um, and they run into, like, the other Pegite people, and they're basically like, yeah, we actually planned this. We lured... <laughs> The Ohm <laughs> yeah. into this town because the Tormikians had taken it over and we wanted them out. They're like, pretty great, right? They're like showing off the <laughs> town. <laughs> and Nausicaa is like, what the fuck? You just totally destroyed your own land and like caused all this senseless violence and killing just so you could be like, well, we didn't want the Tormikians to have it. So yeah. no one can have At it. At least those damn Tormikians didn't get it. <laughs> and yeah, once again, like. You get the logic of it to a degree, but you also see just how dumb and flawed their, you know, views are on yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Pegite, and in, in, in this moment, to Nasca finds out that they you they know, want to get the God Warrior back. Yeah, they want to get the God Warrior back, and they're going to use the Ohms again that they are controlling in an unknown way. They're going to use them to attack the Valley of the Wind where the Tormikians are and the God Warrior. Mm -hmm. And they um, kidnap Nausicaa. Asbel tries to help her, but he's kind of brought onto the ship as well. And interestingly, the story is a little bit different in the manga because in the manga, the Tormikians are fighting the Dorok tribes and... The Valley of the Wind is sort of loosely affiliated with the Tormikians. Mm-hmm. Um, and at this moment, Nausicaa and Asbel are taken prisoner by the Doroks. Yeah, they kind of just run into them in the Sea of Corruption. Mm-hmm. And, and the Doroks are doing like the exact same thing. They're using insects. Yeah. And Nausicaa finds out they're taken prisoner on this ship. Nausicaa finds out that they're going to use the Ohm to attack. And it's not the Valley of the Wind this time. It's to attack the Tormikian army. Because... Nausicaa and a bunch of other people have left the valley to join the rest of the army. Yeah, the uh, the army, the Tormikian army that Nausicaa was traveling with have kind of like camped by the acid lakes yeah. or the acid sea, mm-hmm. which in uh, the manga is just kind of like in a random location. It's not adjacent to the Valley of the Wind like it is in the film. Yeah. Nausicaa also meets... Uh, a priest of the Dorak tribes. Uh, she calls him the Holy One. And they kind of have this like telepathic type conversation together too. And he's the one that sort of reveals these plans to her Mm -hmm. and she's trying to get him to like see reason and not do this thing. But there is like kind of an affinity between them. I will say that the manga is a little confusing. Yeah. Um, you, you, I do. I did eventually like kind of get it all sorted out in my head, but at first I was like, who uh, who are the Doroks again? And yeah. I was like trying to remember. And I was like, there's like so many different people. Yeah. And then there's like factions within them, within the Doroks. And like 
the Pedjites, the Pedjites like aren't really a thing in the manga. They no. were just like wiped out basically. And yeah. Asbel is the only one that's left. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it kind of throws a lot of locations and names at you very quickly. Yeah. And they only start printing a map in the third vault. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this would have been very helpful. Although I will say I looked at that map and I couldn't make heads or tails of it. Oh, really? Well, it's like there's a big spread of the map and then a smaller um part of the map in the corner like in a separate square and yeah. I couldn't tell which was the zoomed out <laughs> I was like is the big map the zoomed out and that's the smaller one or is the smaller one and I looked at it for a long time okay well we can go over the map later <laughs> okay I need I need your help need some one-on-one tutoring also the water was colored differently on them and like it was purple for some reason anyway <laughs> Let's take a sidebar here and talk about something very interesting regarding the film adaptation of this manga, specifically in regards to its U.S. release. Yeah, so this is the 80s. There was not a lot of Japanese films or anime that was in the U.S. And when it was brought to the U.S., it was heavily edited and dubbed, obviously, for English audiences. And this led to the unfortunate situation we will call the Warriors of the Wind. The Warriors of the Wind. I, when you told me about this, Adina, I almost couldn't believe you when you showed me the poster for it. Yeah. Um, The poster specifically features several characters that are not in the film. Yeah. And we're not even talking. And they're men. Yeah. And we're not even talking about, like, my neighbor Totoro, like poster has like a girl that's a fusion of the two sisters in some posters yeah, yeah in some posters we're not talking about that i'm talking about like a skeleton warrior man yeah um oh uh, somebody on like a pegasus horse? yes a man yeah. riding a pegasus horse there is a girl that looks vaguely like nausicaa on her glider yeah and then it looks like they're standing on the head of the god warrior yeah but then there's also a god warrior standing on, on the top. head of the god warrior <laughs> It's just batshit. And uh, I was able to find this version online, and I'll have to put it on our um, Patreon page, and anyone should be able to access that if you just go to it. Uh, But, like, the thing about it is that it was taken by an American studio and basically, you know, redubbed, but they cut, like, over a half hour of the story. Yeah. And they redubbed it in a way that like some of the lines like don't make any sense like they change the context of the story so they actually change the dialogue they change what's happening they change the names of the characters and the actress who plays (laughs) nausicaa which in this version is called like princess zatara or i forget what exactly it is i thought that was um kushana kushana yeah maybe i forget what they call nausicaa nausicaa she sounds like the best way I can think of. It sounds like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a 30-year-old woman who's very, like, oh, my God, what's happening? In this, like, vaguely southern slash Kansas accent. Yeah, and even some of the men have, like, southern yeah. accents. Oh, Zandra. Zandra. I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> or Zandra. Uh, we just, like, scrubbed through. I, I want to sit down and watch the whole thing. Oh, my God. It's so terrible. We just, like, scrubbed through it. There was specifically a part that I I want to see if I can like actually insert it into the episode. But it's when she gets burned by the acid in the acid lake. And just her reaction is so 
bad <laughs> and terrible that like I laughed for a, a long time. Don't go in the water. The lake's acid. Your wounds will burn. Yeah, this was basically a disaster, and Miyazaki was not happy about this, and so this actually led to over, like, 10 years or so, uh, none of his films were released in America after that. And it wasn't, and he, like, turned down companies about doing it, and it wasn't until Disney approached him yeah. and was like, listen, we'll release the films, like, as they are. Like, yeah, we won't cut anything. The translations will be accurate, we won't cut things. And that was finally, like, what got uh, Miyazaki to agree to uh, his movies being released in the U.S. Yeah, such a fascinating story. And you cannot find Warriors of the Wind anymore. Like, it's basically been destroyed from existence. (laughs) (laughs) Miyazaki probably personally, like, burned every copy of it. He he just was trolling (laughs) eBay for, like, months, like, buying up all the copies to destroy. It was like the the E.T. NES game. Yeah. Have you ever heard about that? No. It was, like, a terrible E.T. video game (laughs) that was so bad that I think, like, Nintendo, like, got all the copies and like buried them somewhere literally like that's like the urban legend is like they buried them like in the desert or something <laughs> that's definitely what happened to warriors of the way <laughs> yeah. uh, uh what's happening in the story yeah well, um so uh nausicaa and asbel are captured in the film by the uh pegites mm-hmm. in the manga by the dorox they are able to escape and in the movie lord yupa kind of comes up and ends up helping the Pegites because, like, they get into this battle with the Tormikians as well. Yeah. It's kind of all over the place. You don't know who's fighting who. I think some of them might be worm handlers, but they're never explicitly named in the film. So yeah. we're like, wait, what's happening? But we do get a cool scene with Lord Yupa, like, attacking people. He's so fucking cool in this scene. He, like, doesn't even kill anyone. He just kind of, like, dances around everyone and, like, ha-ha, <laughs> ha <laughs> <laughs> like, puts his... By the way, I just love his big, bristly mustache. Yes. It's such a good character design mm-hmm. uh, but he ends up saving the pageites because there's a lot of like women and it was actually uh asbel's mom yeah. that like saved uh nausicaa yeah you know, helped she her escape kind of smuggled her out and asbel in both versions also kind of like sacrifices he doesn't die yeah but he kind of like sacrifices himself to save nausicaa so, so she, she can, can get away and warn the people either the valley of the wind people or the tormikian army that this is happening and in the movie you know, keep in mind that the Valley of the Wind has been invaded by the Tremekians. And at this point, the Valley of the Wind people are like, okay, enough is enough. <laughs> yeah. And they start fighting back. Um, and it's great. There's a couple scenes with some of these like older men like taking over a tank and like them fighting back. But basically, they all end up holding up in this ship kind of at the end of the Valley of the Wind. And they even say that this is a ship that used to go to space. Yeah, and this is something that's kind of alluded to in the manga, like, after, like, in the later part of the second volume. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, a mining town that just, like, lives in this old ship, and they scavenge parts, like, they mine it for parts, which is cool. Yeah. Um, So this is just kind of, like, an allusion to that. They're just, like, hiding out in this, like, old ship hull, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's right on the um, Acid Lakes, I think. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of in a tough spot, you know, Mm -hmm. at this moment. Should we talk about just kind of the manga to the end? Yeah. At least up up until the events of the movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So 
Nausicaa goes to try to find like what the Doroks are doing and ends up finding out that they have this baby Ohm like kind of trapped and tortured and they're kind of dangling it and they're going to lead it or put it kind of near where the whole Tormikian army is encamped and get the Ohm to charge the army and then totally destroy the army. And yeah, it's just shitty. They're actually like successful. Yeah. Basically. And what they like, uh, princess Kushana manages to escape, but like all the Tormikians that were in her militia that she was traveling with get like, uh, just run over by the Ohms. It's also interesting because we find out that, Princess Kushana may have been betrayed by her brothers, the princes, and that yeah. they may ha, might have been in league with the Doroks to kill her. Yeah, and it, it's pretty, uh, I don't know, it's interesting. I have yet to get to a point where we meet any of these brothers. Mm, okay. Uh, but, like, we've heard a lot about them, and there's obviously, like, this intense rivalry between all of them. Yeah. And I really love that, like, in the manga... Kushana is like really admired and loved by her people. Yeah. I don't think you really get that in the film. No. But in the manga, like her men are willing to like lay down their lives for her. Mm -hmm. And like later on when she like shows up at battlefronts, um, they're like, oh my God, it's Kushana. And it like kind of revives them. Yeah. Like rejuvenates them. And so I like that there's that parallel between Nausicaa and Kushana, yeah. where, like, even though their agendas are very different, they're both, like, very strong characters that are really, like, beloved by their people. Yeah, I so, think it's an interesting parallel. Yeah, and I really love scenes between them later on in the story. Mm-hmm. Nausicaa does get the baby free, the baby Ohm, and she gets Kushana to take the baby back to the herd, basically, for her. Yeah. Um, and they're reunited. When she's trying to help the baby Ohm, she is kind of injured. And once she reunites the baby with the herd, the Ohm heal her. Yeah. And the Holy One, who's this Dorak priest that she talked with earlier, kind of sees this and sees her with the Ohm. And it kind of fulfills this vision and this prophecy that has been passed down about, like, this blue-clad one. Yeah. And again, the, the translation is probably, I bet it sounds way better in the Japanese instead of, like, blue-clad one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Doesn't roll off the tongue. <laughs> but uh, kind of implying that Nausicaa has a larger role to fill in a prophecy. And interestingly enough, in the manga, we don't really know what that will be. Like, what her role as this prophesied one will actually end up being. Yeah. And after this kind of incident, uh, the, the men, the other, the older men from the Valley that she was traveling with returned to the Valley of the wind. Yeah. But actually Nausicaa stays behind with, uh, Kushana. Cause when she actually talked to the ohms, cause she communicates with them more directly. Yeah. And the ohms were like, we have to go south because the forest is in need down there. Yeah. And I think this is really concerning to Nausicaa. And she wants to kind of know what's going on south with the war mm-hmm. and what's going on with the forest. There's also been something hinted in the manga at this point called uh, the Daika Show. I oh, think yeah. I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. Um, which is this kind of event that happens every 300 years or so since the fall of humanity a thousand years ago, where the forest and the Ohm are somehow angered by humans. Yeah. And they end up like, the Ohm end up like kind of stampeding and the insects stampede the world beyond the forest and basically destroy 
kingdoms, towns, tons of humans die. And they, by doing this, spread the sea of corruption even farther. Yeah, their bodies kind of turn into the fungi and like yeah. the plant life that like becomes a sea of corruption. Mm-hmm. And it's like apparently happened like a few times in the past. Yeah. And this is kind of alluded to in the film as well. Uh, Obaba, the old woman mm-hmm. in the Valley of the Wind, kind of warns Kushana if you try to destroy the forest. Because that's kind of her goal is she wants to use the God Warrior to destroy the Sea of Corruption. And Obaba yeah. is like, people have tried in the past and the forest always like retaliates and you'll just make it worse than it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because like I've gotten pretty far in the manga and they talk about how with the Daika show, the last time this happened, they mentioned specifically that like, so tons of people die. But then they're like, after that happened even more people died because then everyone fought over the land that was left mm. after everything was like destroyed. Um, so kind of showing how like humanity really is like destroying itself slowly. Yeah. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like essentially where we're, we're leaving off. This is like, at least halfway through the second volume of the manga. And there are seven volumes. Yeah. And like (laughs) this whole prophecy is like what is kind of the uh, resolve or ending of the film. Yeah. Like, oh my God, the prophecy is fulfilled and now it's done. Yeah. Like in the manga is like, oh, there's a prophecy. Who knows where that's going to take This is just the beginning. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So let's pick up with the movie now. Um, Nausicaa ends up finding the flying jar that has the baby <laughs> Ohm dangling from it. Yeah. Uh, she once again, in, in a similar way, manages to crash uh, the jar ship and is trying to, you know, in the middle of this acid lake and is trying to, she wants to like save the the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just such a sad scene, especially seeing it played out like in the film with the actors and the voice actors and everything yeah and ends up like she gets shot a couple times and then also (laughs) her foot gets burned so she's like definitely fucked up and the ohm are coming towards the baby but they end up diverting and heading more towards the valley and we see in the movie that all the people are holed up in this ship and the Tremekians are about to attack them and then they realize that the Ohm are coming. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because like they're about to attack each other and then they're like, oh shit. <laughs> and then Kushan is like, okay, forget about the Valley of the Wind people. Like we have bigger problems. And she's like, get the God Warrior. Yeah. I just want to say there's a moment where they're like kind of waiting to see if Nausicaa returns before they do anything. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, um, her uncle... Um, Mito? Mito. Uncle Mito uh, lands the uh, ship and... Kushana like runs up to it to see if Nausicaa's with them. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't want to like say anyone's like assume anyone's sexuality in this story or anything, but um Kushana's very into Nausicaa. She was really <laughs> eager to see if Nausicaa had returned or not, which I, I very much liked. <laughs> but um, so Kushana goes and she awakens the god warrior uh too early. It's not done being born. <laughs> it's not done. It needed more time in the oven. It definitely Adina did. Adina <laughs> had a very soggy bottom. Uh, Just a sh- crumbling, a sh- crumbling before our A eyes. real shame, as Paul Hollywood would say. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like... It's just melting. And, like, you kind of feel bad for it. Yeah, you do. Because it feels like an organic creature. Yeah. Um, But you do see 
uh, Kushana gets it to shoot at the ohms a couple times before it totally disintegrates. And you kind of see the power yeah. of the God Warriors briefly before it like... Just totally melts into the ground. <laughs> just totally <laughs> dissolves. It's kind of a funny anti-climax in the story, like yeah. the God Warrior. Yeah. I-, I think it works, though. Like, I kind of like that you see briefly a hint of its power, and mm-hmm. then it's resolved because it's like, well, it's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I do kind of like that, too. And uh, Nausicaa ends up getting the baby back to the ohm, but they're charging towards her. And she kind of, like, almost accepts that she's gonna be killed in this moment like she just is so focused on getting the baby reunited to the herd and they charge past her and you see her kind of like fly up in the air and then I'm assumed I'm assuming she gets trampled because how could you not get trampled it's kind of like a a Black Friday sale you know what I mean the (laughs) ohms are like running to Best Buy they're like I need an iPad (laughs) they just trample anything in their way uh, and, and so, but they actually do for a moment, it seems like nothing happened. Yeah. Uh, but then they finally stop before they, uh, destroy everyone. Mm-hmm. And you realize that like, they kind of realized what happened and, and a calm has washed over them. Yeah. I like comparing this to the scene where Nausicaa got violent when her father was killed and she's mm-hmm. only stopped and realizes what she's doing when Yupa kind of like puts his arm up and takes the the blow of her sword. Yeah. And she sees the blood and like what she's done and kind of realizes. And I think this is a similar moment for the Ohm, you know? Yeah. They have the, they're like too even blind to the baby, but then they see this one human who like sacrificed herself basically. And that kind of stops them. And I love like Yupa and some of the others in a ship from above can see like this sea of red because like all the own that are charging like they have so many eyes and they're all red and then suddenly in like the center of this charging group you just see some of their the colors turn to blue yeah and it's kind of this wave outward yeah uh, from the center out to like the red changing to blue so it's like a really cool effect yeah and we see them kind of lift Nausicaa up with their like feelers and they have these like little antenna I'll say Mm -hmm. or like that are golden and they all join to create this whole like almost like golden field with their like feelers and it ends up kind of like bringing her back to life and healing her yeah it is kind of a resurrection story I have heard Miyazaki be like it's not supposed to be like a Christ parable (laughs) he's like anyone who thinks that they're wrong it's just how it is Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah Nausicaa is kind of like saved by the ohms and this vision of her kind of in a field of gold yeah ties into this prophecy that was said about her and Mm -hmm. once again it's just like Okay, that's the resolution. Yeah, like she saved the the people of the Valley of the Wind. She literally did save them in that moment. And we didn't talk about this earlier, but there is a flashback scene that she has earlier when she was a child. Yeah. Where it has the same imagery of like the golden field. And she was actually trying to protect a baby Ohm and like actually probably become friends with it because she loved it even as like a child. Yeah. And... Her father and other people like took the baby away from her. Do you think this is a memory? Or I do think, you think so. Okay. Yeah. See, I thought it was just kind of like metaphorical. No, I think this is, it actually happened. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, and I wonder if like her connection <laughs> with the Ohm was like born from that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there's a part in the film that's like really funny though, where Obaba, the old woman of the valley who's blind, 
it has these little girls with her. Yeah. And she hears that Nausicaa is still is alive and she's like, please, like, describe to me what you see. <laughs> Tell this blind old woman what you see. And the little girl starts off by like, Nausicaa's wearing like a new blue dress. That I've never seen before. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I think it's like the latest in Pegite fashion. It's like a very bold choice for her. Because <laughs> it, it is weird that she begins like with her clothing. Yeah. She's being like raised up by a sea of golden feelers from the ohms. And the first thing is she's like, this the, is a new dress. Yeah, that dress is new. I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Nasa kind of becomes this, you know, savior or prophesied one in the manga and is on this like field of gold. Um, and that's where the story basically ends. The own leave. <laughs> Pretty abruptly. And then it's like, all right, we're done now. Roll the credits. <laughs> Asbel's like, hey, I'm here. And then it's like, dun, 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 dun like the credits. <laughs> we do get like in the credits some scenes of like them planting new trees in the valley. Like they have their crops and then like kind of a groups of people like kind of seeming happy. But yeah, there's not really like anything else that happened. I actually thought I missed something because I think I was making a note and then suddenly like the credits were playing. I was like, wait, what the fuck? I'm like, did something else happen? Like, uh, I mean, Miyazaki knows when to end a film usually and not like stick around too long. Yeah. I think it's maybe a little too abrupt in this. Like, I do like the scenes you get during the credits. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And once again, Miyazaki in classic Miyazaki fashion is just like, and then, like, I don't know, the villains were like, hey, maybe we're like... Maybe we're just, we're fine. We'll just leave. We'll just go. And everyone's like, yeah, okay, see you later. <laughs> we'll forget that you invaded us, like... It's fine. Later. And just everyone's like, maybe we should try to be better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, that's where uh, the movie ends. That's where we're going to leave off our discussion on the manga. Yeah. And usually at this point in the podcast, we would discuss which is better, but... I kind of want to pose a question, and that is, like, can we even decide in this version, in this episode? Because the manga, you know, goes on for so long, and yeah. so much of the story is, like, it has so much more to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it would feel uh, almost wrong to just, like, be judging, like, this portion of the story. When yeah, it's not finished yet. It's not, yeah. But to, like... I don't know, judge it based on like the entirety of the manga would also be like. Yeah, it's hard to compare a short film, relatively short film, to like over a thousand pages of manga. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But like to judge a film based on just like a portion of it. So I, I don't know. I was curious like what you, how you. I mean, it is difficult. I have read the manga before and I liked it. Um, I almost feel like the manga gets a little too complicated. And while I think that the movie sometimes doesn't quite make sense in the details, I like the overall themes. Yeah. And I feel like it portrays them really strongly and really clearly and really well. Um, I also like that the setting is pretty set in the Valley of the Wind. Like we have this feeling of like place and, you know, Nausicaa's people and why she cares about them. Yeah. With... So much of the story, like basically all of the manga takes place not in the Valley of the Wind. <laughs> yeah. Like she goes south and like stays in the south, like in the Dorok mm. lands. Um, and I don't know if that is as meaningful when it's not her land, you know? Yeah. Like what is she fighting for? That's true. It's kind of like 
I don't know. It, it's kind of like Lord of the Rings, you know, like, like in those films, like when you see Hobbiton. Yeah. Like, you're like, wow, I get why Frodo and them are like doing what they're doing. And even in the later films, they still remind you of yeah. like, hey, this is what we're fighting for. This is what matters to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if you kind of forget that and that's kind of like lost on you. Um, yeah, the impact would be lessened. I will say that, like, even though I'm enjoying the manga and where it's going and I'm very curious to see how it evolves, the movie does. I I think it captures those themes that the manga is exploring. Yeah. Just in an hour and a half movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's two hours, but yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's like two hours. But like, um. But yeah, it's kind of like, it's interesting to think about that compared to the manga, which is kind of this much broader, sprawling epic. And like, yeah, you get more detail, You get, like characters go on to do more and like you get more details of the world building and the kind of these different factions in yeah. the world and like, but thematically, are you getting anything more out of that than what the movie is able to do in its time? Yeah, and I would say that the movie does it, like we were talking about, in a very, like, mature way. It's not like a simple story. No. You know, despite kind of condensing a lot of what the manga was doing. Um, Yeah, you know, maybe it's a cheat to say this, but I do think I prefer the film. I know. I feel the same way. Like, I, I I, will hesitantly say that I prefer the film as well. Yeah. Uh, I think I would return to it before returning to the manga. Yeah. Um, I mean, just because it's it's and I like I, I maybe I shouldn't feel bad about that because it's Miyazaki still. Yeah. Miyazaki did the manga. <laughs> Miyazaki did the film. Yeah. I'm not betraying anyone <laughs> by choosing the film. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, we'll say a hesitant film. Yeah. And then listen to our episode on the manga to hear us talk about that, because maybe we'll revisit this question. Yeah, that's true. In in the grander scheme of having finished the manga, yeah. we can ask this question again. Yeah. All right, let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning. So first thing that I have to mention is that in the movie, sometimes it looks like Nausicaa is not wearing pants. Ugh, her <laughs> pants color. <laughs> and so we looked this up, and apparently it kind of depends on the film version that you watch like the color variant of it is sometimes a little bit off she's supposed to be wearing pants is what we're saying yeah and i mean like her outfit looks like it already kind of has a skirt yeah and so like a lot of times it you know it would almost make sense if it was but then other times you're getting like upskirt shots of her and it's just like and I know at this point that, like, she's wearing pants, but, like, it is still, like, kind of weird a little bit <laughs> to yeah. watch. So, like, HBO Max, which we watch this on, please fix this colored coloring issue. Yeah, I mean, it is slightly different, but, like, not enough to be, like, readily apparent. Yeah, <laughs> and, I don't like it. And I did read that, like, other people have felt the same <laughs> way, so I was, like, glad. I'm like, I, is this weird that I, like, think this or... <laughs> um. I want to talk briefly about Kuratoa, the character. Mm-hmm. He's like kind of the right-hand man of Princess Kushana. Yeah. And he's kind of an interesting character. I Specifically in the manga, he feels like kind of a very Game of Thrones character. Yeah. He kind of has, he comes from like humble origins and he's kind of like working his way up the ranks, like always kind of trying to look for a way to like weasel his way up the ladder, you know yeah. what I mean? And yeah. kind of like always trying to 
be on good terms with whoever. Like at the moment, he's with Princess Kushana, but I could see him betraying her. Yeah. He's kind of slimy. He also seems to want to bang Princess Kushana <laughs> at the yeah. same time. But he's also very like clever. Like he allies himself with her because he knows that that's his best chance of survival yeah. and also like kind of getting into a better situation. Um, the actor, like the English actor who like dubs him in the movie kind of has this like wry <laughs> yeah. sense of like voice that I kind of like. It's fun. It works well with his kind of like really wide smile and kind of like smirk expression, I think is really good. Yeah. Another uh, little thing from the manga is the ships actually communicate with each other by flags. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Um, Which is like, not really explained, but they like wave different flags up on their ship and like they're able to send messages back and forth. There's like a shot in the movie where it seems like they're doing Morse code with like a light instead. Um, but yeah, I was like, this is interesting that they have like a flag communication system. I think like Navy ships used to do that. Okay. I, I think. Yeah. I could be wrong. Don't don't correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, last for lightning round, Adina and I watched a film Shit, I actually forget the name of it. The Neverending Man? Yeah, I think that's it. It's on HBO Max, and it's a, a short, it's like hour-long yeah. documentary about uh, Miyazaki. And it's actually about him retiring, I think, in 2015. Yeah. Um, or 2013, I forget when exactly. Yeah, it's very, it was not what I was expecting. Like, it's very kind of low budget, just like a guy following him around. But I don't know, it's so interesting to see someone who's as talented as he is. Yeah. Kind of like coming to the end of his career and like him not wanting to stop. Like he knows he should, but also like. He can't help himself. Yeah. It's like his impulsion to like keep creating and he can't not be creating. And And like seeing the way that he approached some of the drawings, like in the documentary, he's creating this like short film that's only going to be shown at the Ghibli Museum. Yeah. Um, And he's like hand drawing, even though they're going to use CGI, he still like can't help himself from like hand drawing everything. And so coming back in time to Nausicaa, like he hand drew all the anim, all the manga. Yeah. Like probably hand drew like most of the animation for the movie as well. And so it's just like astounding to imagine someone doing this yeah and just him dealing like with old age and it's it's a really um really good documentary just kind of gives you this really behind the scenes look at this man at least like you know in his old age so Mm -hmm. i highly recommend it for any fans of um studio ghibli or miyazaki in general yeah worth checking out uh that's the end of lightning round and that wraps up our episode Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Annette, our patron who requested this episode. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you get access to all our bonus episodes, one of which will be our bonus episode on the Nausicaa manga, and you also get priority requests, so we do requests from patrons for episodes. Yeah. Uh, if you, so yeah, become a patron if any of that sounds appealing to you. Uh, also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, a star rating is really helpful, you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Just go to our website, CoverToCredits.com, and you can find uh, links to all those platforms. And thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.